Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. I'm Justin Sloan. And I'm Paul Zeidman, and I'm quite happy to introduce our special guest today, uh, writer and all-around uh, businessman extraordinaire, Chip Street. Chip, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It's exciting. Uh, Paul, I've known you online for years and years. This is the first time we've ever actually spoken. That's true. That's true. And as we were talking before the show that because uh, I'm in San Francisco and Chip used to live uh, just down the coast in Santa Cruz, but uh, he made the the jump a couple of years ago back east uh, to what we call winter. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I had to get used to a little snow, but it's been pretty remarkable. That's nice. cool. And you're actually on one of our first video episodes. So we're, oh. we're actually just started that recently. We should have been doing it the whole time, but, you know, we wanted to look uh, however we felt like and not worry about it. So now we got to look all pretty in <laughs> my hair. Yeah. Well, from the waist up anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Do you want to jump right into our, uh, what we've been watching or listening to, and then we'll do some introductions. Sure. Sounds good. So, uh, what we do is we discuss you know, anything we've been reading or watching lately, and I will go first. Uh, it was sitting around the house, uh, through Netflix for a couple of weeks, but, uh, finally got around. We watched this great movie with Humphrey Bogart called we're no angels. I want to say 1956, but I'm not entirely sure. But it's Humphrey Bogart, Peter Ustinov, and the uh, illustrious Aldo Ray. Now, it's a weird thing. It takes place on Devil's Island, and they're escaped convicts. And they kind of get into the good graces of this shopkeeper and his family. And they're just nice people. And it's just a, it's a really unusual story. But the weird thing is that the way the film was shot, you really could swear that they did it as a play. Because it all seems very self-contained, almost like they only had like three locations or so. But it was really, it was different. It was, <laughs> I was not expecting it. I, I thought it was a much different kind of story, but it was still enjoyable and, and you know, kind of almost lighthearted in a way. So I think they remade it with uh, De Niro and Sean Penn, maybe in the late 80s, but I can't be entirely certain about that. But if you're looking for something unusual and uh, Humphrey Bogart-ish, uh, then you can't go wrong with We're No Angels. And uh, that was that was what I was watching. Okay, I found mine. Uh it is She Said. So I finally watched She mm. Said, which came out last year. And somebody online was like, they don't make movies like this anymore. Go watch it. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, all right, fine. And uh, yeah, it was the story, you know, about a, a guy, Weinstein, uh, Harvey Weinstein and that whole situation. And, um, you know, it was a good movie. Uh, the funny, and there was great acting. Uh, but what humored me was like that, that comment, they don't make movies like this anymore. As I was watching it, I was recalling a movie that they just made like a year or two previous to this it was the exact same movie almost but not about weinstein it was about the uh, the news anchor people whatever went down with that like good morning america or one of those programs yeah. oh it was like it was the one set at fox maybe maybe i have to i'll have to find it or was it always oh, uh, that um bombshell i want to say that might be a, yeah that sounds right yeah and i was like it's almost the same movie it's just of course one's about hollywood and one's about the news organizations right. and mm -hmm. but very similar about like uh will the woman feel like it's okay to come out and will the other women come out too together so that they're all like coming forward and saying, Hey, this bad thing happened mm -hmm. to me. And then like, why if you realize, and it was most of the same theme, kind of like how you realize that if you don't, your daughter or the women behind you, the other women who are coming through the door are going to ha have probably the same problem that you face. So very mm -hmm. good movie, very good theme. And of course, but um, two movies that are very similar that you could watch together and, and have a very similar experience. They both leave with a good feeling about <laughs> so yeah how about you uh chip you got anything for us i actually rewatched raiders of the lost ark nice. recently oh very nice uh, I, i've seen it a lot uh, a number of times obviously as we all have after all this many years um but you know i've gone back and revisited some 
films that I loved before and been disappointed by them. Hmm. And so I was a little cautious about this. I didn't, I wasn't sure I wanted to go back and take the chance that it didn't hold up. And man, does it hold up? It's just, <laughs> it's so great. It's so great. And I don't think it's just because I remember it fondly. I just, I think it's <laughs> really well crafted. It's got a tremendous cast. Everybody pulls their weight. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, the structure of it really does uh, uh, kind of harken back to those 1930s serial type things that I think it's emulating. Mm -hmm. And I just go, you know, if you haven't watched it in a while, go see it again. It really does. <laughs> it's, it's, it stands the test of time. 100%. Yeah, we could do whole episodes about those movies probably and <laughs> get lost in just the, the great times. No, I think that's one of those movies that I've probably watched like a hundred times, maybe maybe right. like less than that, like 50, but you know, a lot of times and it never loses its fun for me. Yep. So yeah, it's, it's, def it's definitely one of those movies if you're uh, channel surfing and you come on and you're like, okay, I could, I could just stay here for however much is left of the movie. Exactly. You can drop in anywhere and and and, and immediately be engaged. And my oldest two kids are now at the age where they can enjoy the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. So that oh, makes okay. me very happy as well. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really thought you were going to say they can start enjoying the movies. <laughs> they probably would like that one. Actually, I think they'd be okay with that. They watched all the Harry Potter movies, and they watched, okay. uh, and the, the later ones get kind of scary, right, for the younger kids. But uh, you know, I feel like Indiana Jones doesn't get any worse than the last Harry Potter movie in terms of like scariness or mm -hmm. violence. So, yeah. Yeah, you never know. Well, actually, you know, speaking of movies and screenplays, that is why we have Chip on the show today, uh, because Chip wrote a book called 20, <clears throat> excuse me, 21 Things You Need to Know About Screenplay Options, the Indie Screenwriter's Guide to Protecting Yourself and Getting the Best Deal. And I wanted to have him on the show to talk about this because I think options is a fascinating subject and that not a lot of writers when they're starting out they don't really know much about it. And from what I've seen in a lot of screenwriting books, they don't really touch on it that much. They'll like mention it like, oh, if you're lucky, you'll get an option deal. And like, here's a couple of sentences about how it works. But I think I, I read Chip's book. And I think it does a great job really kind of like explain explaining it, I guess, in layman's terms, really, to that makes it easy for anybody to understand. So I, I want to find it first. Ask you, Chip, like what motivated you to write the book? Well, a lot of the things that you just said, right? Uh, I got started in screenwriting back around 2003 and four when I started working on my first spec script. And so we all go out to the internet and, and to various authorities and try to make sure that we're well-educated. And that was just one of those things that you hear these apocryphal sort of statements about, like, you know, never take a dollar option, you know, or, uh, you know, hold out for as much as you can. You hear these little tidbits, but I had uh, a hard time also finding anything that was really actionable and that I could understand as a lay person. Um, so I was very fortunate uh, to be able to get one of my scripts option and then eventually sold. And I spent a lot of time on the phone with my lawyer and I had him go over every notation that he made and every uh you know every clause in the potential contract as he vetted it for me and explain all these different things to me and um it just felt like i felt well informed and i felt well armed to represent myself and uh protect myself and i just felt like i should share it 
That's great. Yeah, so uh, I think um, that it just really it, it answers the basic questions. I wrote some of them down because I think these are really worth talking about. Like first and foremost, what does it mean to have your screenplay options? Because I've I've had people ask that, and sometimes I'm at a loss for words because I've heard like it's almost uh, rent to own, so to speak, from a <laughs> producer. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting way to put it, but I'm not sure how accurate that is. Now, what would you? How would you answer that question? I think that's actually a great way to put it. I hadn't thought about that before, but but yeah, um, and it, it the producer is interested in possibly being able to make your film. They like your script well enough, you know, that that they want to go out and start the process of gathering resources, you know. So they want to be able to go talk to some investors. They want to talk to some uh, distribution partners and things like that. And they're not going to waste their time doing that if they don't control the rights to this valuable piece of internet uh, of intellectual property right so they basically rent it from you they become the uh exclusive representative uh of this uh, piece of ip and it allows them to go out and and do this groundwork to see if they can get the resources together to make your film but it allows them to do that by making a relatively modest investment as opposed to just buying your script outright uh, because what happens if they can't generate the interest they need to get the film made and then they're stuck, you know, having put out the entire cost of the script. This lets them rent to own. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that actually answers the next question that I'd written down was why do producers option instead of buy that yeah. it's, it's, I guess, a safer investment. So they're not out with X dollars if, if they can't yeah. generate any interest in the script. Absolutely. And it also, it helps them uh, spread their resources around, you know, I mean, let's, let's just use some round numbers just for fun. But if you've got a hundred thousand dollars to invest in some IP to, uh, establish your production company, right. And give you some things to, to be out there, uh, trying to, uh, launch, you can spend a hundred thousand dollars on one script and hope that's the one that flies, or you can spend 10,000 to purchase it, or you can spend five or $10,000 to just option Ten or twenty scripts, and now you've got a much broader portfolio of intellectual property that you control the rights to, that gives you a a better chance of gaining the interest of again investment partners and distribution partners and things like that. Uh, there was another great question because you, I think you had like ten basic questions a writer should ask. This is it's all part of the book. Should you yeah. do it? I think that's that's <laughs> it. it's so it's so to the point. Like. You know, because because I've I've been in the, I've been one of those people. Oh, I I optioned a script. And yes, it was for a dollar, and the contract lasted a year. It expired, and the guy was just wasn't interested anymore. It's like okay, well, but at least I can say I was an optioned screenwriter. So the question yeah. is, you know, should should a writer like what what factors should they take into consideration when someone says, hey, I'd like to option your script? Uh, I, I think it's important to note that this book was particularly written for. Um, independent screenwriters like yourself, like ourselves, uh, and generally working with smaller independent production companies, right? So we're not talking about WGA writers mm. working with studios or, or big independent uh, production companies that might be WGA signatory. So we're really talking about um, guys like us working with smaller independent producers who may or may not have access to the people, the money, the resources, the distribution partners to really get things off the ground. So when you when you ask the question, you know, well, should I do it? Some, you know, 
producer Joe comes along and says, hey, I saw your script over on Ink Tip or, you know, in that uh, contest, uh, you were a finalist and I'd like to option your script. Whether they're offering you a dollar or whether they're legit offering you a reasonable, um, you know, amount of money for uh, an option, do they have the resources to actually get this done? Because what I what I really like people to focus on the first and foremost thing is appreciate that your IP, this script that you've written, has value in the marketplace. And when you own the script, when it's not optioned out to anybody yet, you own it, and it's it's your piece of property. It's working for you, right? It's representing you. You can keep it in your portfolio to show prospective producers or partners. You can throw it into contests in the hope of getting some recognition or winning some money or whatever it is that you might get out of a contest. As soon as you option it to somebody, it's off the market. You don't have control of it anymore. You can't go throw it in another contest. You can't start showing it to other producers or agents or whatever, because it's a piece of property now that is controlled by whoever you optioned it to. So you need to make sure you're getting a return on that investment. You're giving up that valuable piece of intellectual property, that asset, and you're giving it or loaning it, renting to buy to this other entity. And so make sure it's worth it. And if it turns oh. out that you've been approached by some small time little producer who has very little experience and no <laughs> connections and no resources, maybe it's not worth it to you to have it off the market and wait for a different opportunity. Uh, I was just gonna, while we're on that, uh, so the contest thing, uh, that's interesting. Would you say that usually the contests say it can't be currently optioned or would you say that there's something in the contract that says you can't enter into contests or is that more of a, it just seems like that's the way, so it's like a common sense thing? Um, I think it's a common sense thing, although I, I think it's fair to say that I have seen both of those scenarios played out. I've seen contests that say that you can't enter this contest if this script has been previously optioned or is currently under option. Yeah, that makes because sense. again, it's like, you know, you're putting this script into the contest. Uh, you're sort of asserting that it's yours to represent. And it really isn't anymore because the rights currently, for at least a limited period of time, belong to this producer who optioned it from you and the flip side might be true there might be something in the in the option contract that just says you know you can't show this to anybody you can't share it you can't put it in a contest it's you know the contracts can have a phenomenal number of tiny little details that that limit your you know your uh your ability to take action on it and yeah that's why you that's very... why you have lawyers yeah, I was gonna say it probably varies by contest too. Like if you're going with the big ones, yeah, I imagine they probably have that. If there's like just smaller ones where all you're gonna get is some street cred and there's no real chance of getting repped anyway, they probably don't care as much. Now on the other side, the studios or if it's an indie producer, also they might not care as much because they yeah. they know that it's just getting some acclaim and then that'll actually help them. But yeah, in in the bigger situations, um, I was also curious about shopping agreements. I I don't know if we are gonna talk about that at all, but yeah, and we we're talking about the one dollar option uh it's not so similar from a or dissimilar from a shopping agreement which is basically just kind of like a free option what are your thoughts on that it's it, it really is an exclusivity thing i've never had a shopping agreement taken out on one of my scripts i i i had one offered to me once and i blew it um which is a whole another story about you know don't screw yourself out of the deal <laughs> by being a smart ass online and social media but, <laughs> wow <laughs> but um it has to do with exclusivity so with an option, 
it's exclusive to the person who pays you or doesn't pay you for the option, whoever you go under contract with. The shopping agreement is different. The shopping agreement just, it gives that person the right to go out and talk to other people and see if they can generate some interest, but it doesn't keep you from also showing it to other people, potentially optioning it to someone else more exclusively. Um, it's just kind of like, do I have, hey, I think this is a pretty cool script. Do you mind if I show it around to a few friends? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what the shopping agreement does. I've had two shopping agreements that led to options. And oh, great. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> but uh, in both cases, I, they were exclusive. So you weren't allowed to, while they had the shopping agreement in place, you weren't allowed to go show it to anybody else or shop it around or anything oh, okay. like that. So, um, but yeah, they both they both resulted in actual I was wondering if I had any other shopping agreements that didn't result in options, but I don't recall. I think a long time ago, I did one of those dollar options that yeah, ended up going nowhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then these ones led to actual real money options, which was awesome. So yeah, I think like you said, it's all about knowing who you trust. Like in one case, it was to somebody who, mm -hmm. who was a director who had an agreement with Tubi and they wanted to look at it. In the other case, it was somebody who I knew and respected and they had some first look deals with companies and then they ended up getting an option to A&E. And so that was all all awesome there. But uh, Paul, did you have yes. some more stuff you wanted to throw out? Well, see, this is the tricky question that Chip raises it in his book. It's how much will you get paid? Now, I don't want I don't want to this. This can go in so many different directions. And I really don't <laughs> I don't want to throw any specific numbers out there. But I guess a lot of writers that they'll read like, oh, someone optioned a script and it's for this much against this much or you know, optioned it and they got this much money for it. And a lot of writers will see that and they'll automatically think, oh, that's what I'll be able to get because they just are, I don't know, make, making that connection that it's going to be the exact same situation for me, but it's not. And I think, Chip, if you can kind of briefly touch on maybe a realistic expectation that writers should have if they get an option for their script, but you kind of touched on it earlier. So not the dollar option and not the, you know, I'll option your script for, you know, 500 bucks, but maybe a producer comes and says, you know, I can option your script. Well, if, if you want to just pick a number that I guess is kind of realistic, then kind of go with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I tried not to be super specific in the book about dropping numbers like that, because I wanted it to be kind of evergreen. I think somewhere mm -hmm. in the book, I mentioned something about what like the current WGA minimum was, right? Just as a kind of a touchstone. Sure. Um, but again, this is for people who aren't WGA. But the, the rule of thumb is that the script has a value of around two and a half or 3% of the overall production budget. That's kind of like this rule of thumb, right? So, and I'm terrible at doing math in my head, so I don't, I don't want to embarrass myself. But you can imagine what that works out to. So, if you're, if you are working with some little, you've got a little single location script, and you option it to some small independent producer, and they're going to make this thing for fifty thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, you know, two and a half percent of that isn't a lot of money, right? It's fifteen hundred bucks, or it's five thousand dollars. I mean, that's the sale price, not the option price. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't want to buy it from you right away. They want to option it from you. So what you're going to get is in general, 10% of whatever that future purchase price is. And the thing to remember about the option is that all of these numbers are defined in your final contract, right? So it's not like, well, we'll buy it from you and we'll figure out what that price is later when that <laughs> happens. That's stipulated in the contract. So they know we are going to purchase this for $100,000. We're going to give you 
$10,000 as the option price. And if we end up exercising the option down the line, we are able to gather all the resources together and everything to actually make this film, then we'll pay you the other $90,000. So the $10,000 option is a down payment, right? But it's yours to keep if the option falls through. Um, so yeah, I, I usually tell people to, to consider two and a half or 3%. But when you're looking at really small indie productions, I also like to, I, I really want, you want to be a partner in the production. You don't want to cripple a small, low budget production by asking for too much. And if you've got a really great little single location script that you're not super married to and in love with, and somebody wants to make it, and they've got 50 grand that they got from some dentist somewhere who wanted to be in the movie business. Um, you know, don't cripple them by saying, no, I have to have 10 grand. That's 20% of the budget. Like, don't do that to them. Let's get your movie made. Right. So be reasonable and be a good partner. Uh, I don't know if that answers your question really, no, but no, uh, it does. I think it gives a lot of people hopefully something to think about because again, sometimes they'll hear the word option and then all immediately dollar signs will appear in their yeah. eyes. And then they'll just like thinking about when, when I can buy that house in the Hollywood Hills. And this, <laughs> this is just the start. Uh, so the last thing I want to uh, talk about, then I'll throw it to Justin is that uh, you mentioned it right at the outset that the best piece of advice you can get, especially when it comes to, if you get the uh, option of optioning your script is to get an entertainment attorney. hundred percent. Yeah. I, um, I was fortunate, you know, that I stumbled into this whole thing with uh, actually the very first screenplay that I ever wrote. Um, I was working as an art director on a small independent film and the producer heard that I had a script. And so he asked to see it. I was very fortunate that he read it and he liked it and he wanted to option it. And when you have an option of or an offer of some kind in hand, that's the best time to go looking for uh an attorney certainly an agent but even even an attorney because you know good attorneys are busy and uh they want to work with successful clients who have promise of growing into more successful clients so that they can charge them more so when you can go to an attorney and you can say i have an option offer in hand or a purchase uh offer in hand can you help me um, they're much more likely to return your call. So I got very fortunate in that sense. And then again, we all have social media working in our favor, right? We all know other screenwriters, some of whom have, uh, have lawyers uh, and uh, agents and, and other people who they can connect you to. So reaching out, and that's what I did. I reached out to another screenwriter who had a great attorney and I just said, can you make an introduction for me? Um, so yeah, they're, they're going to watch every dotted I and cross T. They're going to do everything they can. And they're going to ask for more than you need. That's one of the things I think I mentioned in the book. I mean, like my my attorney was was asking for things like, you know, well, should this film get made and uh, end up in film festivals around the country, Chip needs to get free tickets to all of them and you need to fly him first class to all the festivals. And, <laughs> and I, God, please. <laughs> Take that stuff out. What I care about is the price. I care about first right of refusal on future, uh, you know, rewrites or sequels and whatnot. I want to protect my, uh, I want to protect my credits. Like I don't care about first class tickets to film festivals. <laughs> Pull that stuff out of there. 
but they'll be watching for that. So, mm-hmm. so can we go very, more? Yeah, into, so, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just saying the first right of refusal. Can we go more into like what that is and how that part works? Yeah, I think the first right of refusal is fun because it's coupled with this other piece, which is uh, you know the the possibility of getting paid not to write. So, if you get first right of refusal, obviously with that on both rewrites and then on uh, follow on projects. So you know when they take the option on the project on the script, they're optioning it in its current state. And you're not under any obligation to continue tweaking on it and making edits on it and whatnot for free um, because they've they've spoken with a potential distributor who says, you know, uh, we think movies with female leads might sell better today than movies with male leads. So can you flip-flop all of the genders or something for us? Like, you're not under any obligation to do any of that kind of stuff without getting paid for it. So you want the first right of refusal on those rewrites because you don't want them to go to someone else necessarily to come in and start working on your script and making changes. You want to get paid to do that. And then the other thing is follow on projects. If there's a sequel, so it does really well. If there's a sequel, you want the first right of refusal to write the sequel, but it's your right to refuse it, right? It's in the name. So let's say that the film does well and they come back to you and they say, Hey, we want to, make a sequel to this film and we have to come to you because you have the first right of refusal. Do you want to get paid to write the sequel? You can say no, but you can have a stipulation in there that says, if you choose not to take the rewrite, you still get paid half of what you would have been paid. So you're getting paid not to write. I forget exactly what the phrase is for it. Um, But, uh, you know, it allows you to say, let's say you sold, you did the option, everything went great. They got the resources. They bought the script for, again, big round numbers, $100,000. So your first right of refusal is, yes, I'll write the sequel for you, and it'll be lower, minimum, $100,000. You're not going to take less for the second time around, right? But if you choose not to write the second film, you still get 50. You get half. I like or that. Whatever that percentage is. <laughs> It, yeah. whatever that percentage is and then you know let your lawyer figure it out that sounds great <laughs> yeah you right you were to say something else too paul when i cut you off with that question? uh no actually no, i i asked all of my questions because okay, cool. a lot of the questions that chip already has in his book so i'm glad you were able to kind of expand <laughs> on that a little bit yeah yeah i was going back to the don't cripple them comment like i just to play devil's advocate one thing i feel like i've learned is uh yeah that's great especially if you want to just get some good cheap features out there but um i find so often when people are like can't afford to pay you a real amount of money that they're going to just end up bailing or they're not going to feel as committed to it and so my kind of current stance nowadays is like eh. <laughs> but i get the point of like early on i was 100 gung-ho on that kind of stuff and then after a while yeah. you start seeing like but then i started realizing too even when they throw more money at you it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to stick around either so uh <laughs> yeah but the, well, the I, numbers i think sorry go ahead I was just saying the numbers that I've seen have been very similar to what you're talking about, both in terms of features and TV. Uh, and I wanted to ask about like uh, uh, more just more details that we can go into here for the people who don't know, like what does hip pocketing mean, for example, I think would be a first starting point. Uh, have you dealt with that much? The hip pocketing no, thing, like actually... with the managers and all right. So when you're talking about like going to agents and these people or like uh-huh. representing the project versus representing the person. So I've always been heard hearing like uh, when you, when you're going to get one of these deals, go find an agent now. This is your time. They're going to want to jump on that. But uh, a lot of times they'll hip pocket you or they'll represent just the project, but not you. 
uh, or, or if they're shopping something for you, like with a manager, the hip pocketing thing more specifically is like, they're like, okay, I like this project, but I don't know yet. I'll see what I can do. And if I, if it sells or if I get some traction, then I'll take you on as a client like that. Gotcha. Kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I always, I always saw it as like, they're representing you without officially representing you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I guess two different things here I'm talking about, right. The hip pocketing. And then also the, the agent that like takes on the project, but not the person. Uh, have you dealt okay. with this much at all? Have you done the, the agent side of it? And played no, with I haven't. I haven't. I, I have not pursued agency and uh, just basically worked directly with my, my lawyer to rep me on these things. Again, all of my options have been with, with small independent yeah. producers. There wasn't a lot of money at play. And I don't think it was enough money probably to interest an agent in wanting to you know, what's 10% of almost nothing, right? Yeah. So what's <laughs> been your journey like um, along these processes? Like you said, you have one that's been optioned is now sold. Have you done anything along the way that helped it get there? Or do you feel like there's been any, I don't know, lessons learned? Like, hey, don't pester these people and piss them off or any, any kind of lessons learned along the way, <laughs> or positive or negative? I, I wrote a blog post once. I think it's still out there somewhere called How I Sold the Very First Screenplay I Ever Wrote and How You Can Avoid the Same Fate. And uh, the lesson that I learned out of that, the, the, the screenplay, um, I, I kept, it was my very first screenplay and I was learning on it. And so I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And I rewrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it. And then I got advice from people and I made changes based on their rewrites. Then I had this producer that was interested in it. And he actually asked me to do a lot of changes to it, even before he optioned it, that I went ahead and did because I was so happy to have the, uh, the, the attention, right? You're getting the positive accolades. And it's like, oh, sure, you like my script, Mr. Producer. I'll do whatever I can to make you love it enough to option it. Mm-hmm. And the, the lesson that I learned is I just thought, you know, if I had written, I rewrote that thing so many times that I probably could have written 10 scripts in the amount of hours that I put into wow. rewriting this first script over and over and over and over again. It's painful. Yeah. And I, I just sort of felt like, um, write more scripts, you know, and, and don't get don't get so wrapped up in the idea of selling this one that you just, you throw more time and effort at it. Maybe then ultimately it ends up being worth to you in the long run. I think some of the things that we've been talking about in this conversation, when we when we talk about, is it worth it taking a low option? Is it worth it to do a dollar option? I think it depends on how many scripts you have in your personal portfolio of scripts, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, if you've written 20 scripts and you've got some little, you know, one location, over here that you knocked out in a month you might be less precious about it and willing to Mm -hmm. to experiment with a smaller producer or give it away for a little less money than if you're a guy who's written three scripts yeah right then they're all precious to you and you kind of like the idea of maybe letting one go and and for not enough money or or maybe to the person who doesn't have as much mojo uh is a little less attractive yeah, yeah. That's definitely been my experience. Like one that was sitting around for seven years, somebody was interested in. It. I was like, well, hell yeah, it's been sitting around for seven years. What exactly. else am I going to do with that thing? Uh, what about any red flags? We talked about like uh, if if it feels like they're not going to do anything with it or something like that, you might want to avoid that situation. Do we have any ways? I'm trying to think if I do either, but like ways of kind of seeing when somebody might be one of these fraud producers who's not really going to do anything or is talking a lot of talk, but has no walk <laughs> do you have any thoughts on like red flags off the top of your head um 
Well, you know, really, it's just, I mean, it's so great that we have the interwebs now, right? And right, social right, media, yeah. it's so easy to go and get not just IMDb Pro and see what else they've done, mm -hmm. but they've got a website. They're probably on Facebook. They're probably on LinkedIn. You know, you might be able to see all kinds of threads and conversations that give you a sense of what they're like to work with, for instance. Um, so uh, red flags, I think it just, for me, I guess, would would be what I'm expecting to get out of it. Uh, if if I want to see this thing get made and I can go online and see that, that this person has a history of eight projects that never went anywhere, that never got completed, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, that's the red flag for me. I, I don't worry too much about, I mean, what would the red flag be? Like, you know, somebody taking my script and never giving it back to me, right? I mean, it's like, it's a virtual piece of property. You've always yeah. got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that's a great answer. Like doing your research is a, is a good answer. And then if they yeah. have never done anything, maybe if they have done like two or three projects, but they're all rated like one out of 10 stars or something, then you might yeah. be like, eh, I don't want that on my record. Uh, yeah. Which is another good question though. Like uh, when you're doing this, do you worry about the quality of the thing after the fact? Are you going to be an excited produced screenplay screenwriter regardless of the quality? Do you have thoughts on that? I've worked in, uh, I've worked on films in other capacities uh, on, on, smaller films and indie films of various sizes right so i've, I've worked as a um, an art director i've worked in props i've been in front of the camera a tiny little bit and one of the things that's frustrating about those experiences is that a lot of the times these movies just aren't that great and yeah. i mean even some movies with big names i did some prop work on a on a movie that had uh like hayden panettiere and uh, uh oh shoot i can't think of his name now but it doesn't matter. I don't want to waste time. Uh, it had some big names in it. And I, I just, I saw the movie afterwards and I thought, how the heck did you get this cast involved in this piece of garbage at all? Yeah. So there's, there's <laughs> my, my experience on the production side hasn't, has, has sometimes been really frustrating because it's like, I don't want to show this to my friends. I don't right. want, I don't want anybody to see this thing. I don't want my name on the credits. And I, I think the same thing would happen with a script. I'd be bummed if somebody took one of my scripts and just, turned it into some sort of, you know, Disney Channel level, I don't know, something that I wasn't very proud of. There's some good stuff on Disney Channel. How dare you? <laughs> there is yeah, yes, stuff. I know what you mean. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was you my know, experience I, with acting. That's why I stopped acting. I was in one of these things and it was like my first feature credit, I think. And I looked at, I just was like, oh my God, if this is my path, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to go be a writer <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. I, for me, it matters. It does. It, it, it matters how good it might turn out to be. Um, unfortunately, you know, I haven't I haven't sold anything. The one that I did sell ended up the, the, the sad story in, in a nutshell is that the producer who eventually optioned and then purchased my screenplay and he had everything lined up. He had a, a number of films that he had made successfully and gotten into distribution. Died in a, a motorcycle crash about 90 days after we did after we closed the deal. Oh and my God. So unfortunately, the rights to that script, well, unfortunately that we lost him. He was a good guy. Also unfortunate that the rights to the script remain with his heirs. A weird who, situation. Who don't there. have really the interest and resources to make the film. So sadly, it's it's probably never going to see the light of day. So, uh, yeah, so yeah. they can't they can't revert the rights back to you for that? I, I could, could I could negotiate with them and do some sort of a lean even you know mm -hmm. you can you can do that where you get the rights to the script back and you 
give them a lien against the profits on any film that might get made out of oh, it. Okay, so give, give, give me the script back. I'll go out. I'll option it to someone else, get it made. And then you guys will get paid X amount hmm. of dollars when the movie gets made. So I don't even have to necessarily give them money to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would put me, uh, that would put me right back, you know, in, in the market trying to, hmm. to, to sell a script that had already yeah. been, sold once before and maybe if a producer comes anywhere. along who really wants it then you can go worry about all that stuff but uh, I, think, yeah. I think that's <laughs> it and i and i novelized that particular script oh, cool. too i i retained the literary rights to it so i turned it into a novel and oh, so sweet. the novel is still out there so if someone saw the novel and really liked it and said hey i'd like to make a movie out of this then i'd be able to turn around and go back that was gonna be my last question kind of like we were talking about how you can't put it into contests but can you do other stuff like the novelization and it sounds like your answer is make sure it's in the contract exactly yeah, cool. you retain. You can retain a variety of ancillary rights, right? So um, I've had good luck retaining uh, radio play rights, for instance, having it performed on the radio. Uh, I still have the rights yeah. to do that to cool. to do literary adaptations, like audio dramas, and stuff like that. Audio dramas, yeah. Nice. You can even you can even retain the rights to the characters and um, yeah. write a sequel novel using the same characters but with an entirely different plot. You know, there yeah. are all kinds of little things you can retain. Nice, Paul. No, that was I, I. He answered all the questions I had. Uh, it's great. So uh, uh, the title again: uh, Twenty-one Things You Need to Know About Screenplay Options: The Indie Screenwriter's Guide to Protecting Yourself and Getting the Best Deal. That is available on Amazon. It's only a Kindle, so I thought it was might be in a, a paperback, but it's a really short book. So I guess Kindle's it's, probably the way to go. That's uh, what I figured. Okay, and Chip, uh, where could people find you online if they want to find out more about you and your work? I am at chipstreet.com. And uh, then there's a that's that covers all my personal stuff. And there's a link on there that goes over to William Street Creative, which you see behind me, which is my I do a lot of work uh, in screenwriting and corporate writing for distance training, uh, online training, uh, kind of e-classes, things like that. So I've separated my personal work from my 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 uh, my corporate work. Excellent. Awesome. Great. Yeah, this has been a very informative and uh, hopefully really helpful to a lot of writers who like they know about options, but they don't really know about options. So yeah. hope, hopefully we answered some questions today. Chip, thank you so much. This was really, really great. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. It's a gas. I uh, uh, hope maybe one day we'll do it again. When yeah, we we'll all have, have back on when we've new exciting. Exciting. we can, can compare option stories. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> options back then to options now that we've yep. become, yeah. Uh yeah. So listeners, go check out the book, go check out the website. Uh please read reviews, leave reviews for our podcast and spread the word. And uh once again, this is creative writing life. And I'm Justin Sloan. You can find my books on Amazon. And I'm Paul Zeidman. You can check out my screenwriting blog, Maximum Z at MaximumZ.blog. I've got my Go Ahead and Ask screenwriting books on Amazon. I'm on Twitter at Maximum underscore Z and on Instagram at Pez Screenwriting. Like you said, he's Justin. He's Chip. I'm Paul. This has been the Creative Writing Life Podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and most importantly, go write something. <laughs>